Be'ezus Hashem Yisbarech. We're going to continue the 11th letter, the holy letters of the Balatanya, which we're going on a very deep, fascinating journey into the enlightenment of understanding, to be enlightened with understanding, Laskil Chabina, which as we said means the beginning of all light enlightenment is when the light gets turned on. When the light gets turned on, all the darkness is gone. And we are explaining that actually the problem with life, the problem why most people squander their life, why people live a petty life, is because they are living in the darkness. What they think is life, what they think is light, is actually darkness. Because people are living with the past, and they're living with the future, and they're living with all types of fantasies of one moment in time, and that's fragmentation. That's static. That's stopping them from living which is the root of all suffering, to be static, to be in one place. Life is full of static. If you look at it very carefully, you will see. Static means to be, to stop. Static also means that when you have, when you're trying to hold a frequency, when you're trying to hold, used to be in the olden times, they used to have, you had a screen and then you saw static. Static means that it was trying to stop. It was trying to stop the flow of energy. It was trying to stop the frequency. <coughs> and in a certain sense, people think that life is static. Life is tr to try to hold on to one moment. When the exact opposite is life. Holding on to one moment is suffering. What is life? Life is fluid. Life is easy. Everything is soft. Do not become reactive. It's not a, it's not a, future, to, it's not a future goal. You don't have to do anything for it. You just have to stop and be present. You don't have to do anything to be alive. If you're trying to do something to be alive, if you're trying to do something to be present, you already miss presence. You made it into a mental concept. You made it into some future to be attained, some egoic state, some static state. The mere presence of your neshama in your body, the mere idea that you're alive right now, that Hashem is creating you from nothing to something every single second, you have nothing, you don't need to do anything for it at all. You just need to be aware of it. And aware means go beyond your mind. Don't try to hold on to it. So the beginning of all enlightenment is to be aware of these concepts. To be aware of them. Not that they should become concepts, but to be aware of these ideas. To be aware of what's really going on. Because most of life a person is not aware of these things at all. Because he's too busy with the static of life. He's too busy identifying with the static of life. To be alive. To be aware that the only thing he ever has is now. 
And that's why we're going very deep into these concepts, because when you just read this letter, it looks like the Alter Rebbe is saying things that are very, very foreign to a person. But as we go deeper into them, we will see that the way we look at life is entirely backwards. The way we look at everything in life is exactly the opposite of the way it is. And if we have an enlightenment into understanding, if we, have, if we could bring in the truth of how life is, we would never complain. We would see that the joy that we have is actually in this moment right now. The joy that we have right now is unattached. It's not a joy from something. It's not a joy of doing something. It's not a joy in attaining something. It's in a joy in what we are, who we are. And the Balatanya says that a person is not aware of this because he's constantly projecting a tomorrow that's going to be better. And the ego seeps in and says, why are we repeating this again and again and again? Can you be full on the steak that you ate yesterday or do you need to eat another steak today? The Balatanya explains that that is the reason why we get upset when we hear things that are told from us from the past and we say we're hearing it again. Because we are not aware that there is no yesterday. What I heard yesterday is meaningless. If I was alive right this moment, do you know how fresh, do you know how exciting it would be to hear something? Because I didn't hear it before. Because the before doesn't exist. In the face of now, nothing exists from the past. But we don't live like that because we are trapped in our minds. A person who is truly awake, he is really enlightened. He meets every moment with such vibrancy, such excitement, such life. Anything he hears is new. What do you mean? I, that's old. That's what you said yesterday. Why are you repeating yourself? That's ego trapping in. Do you know how exciting this moment is? Do you know how alive this moment is? There's only this moment. But we are not aware of this. We all collectively. This is the, this is the depth of what the Altareb is teaching us. This is not like... We are not speaking from a space of enlightenment. We are speaking from a space of non-enlightenment. But we are trying to understand what is enlightenment. So then we could, so then we could all go into enlightenment. We are not aware that we don't live like this. We live with a past, constantly holding on to a past, holding on to a knowledge. Do you know your spouse? Do you know who you married? If you know who you married, then what, what's the purpose of marriage? Then you're living in the ego. You have no idea who your spouse is. Every moment you're learning about your spouse, every moment you're, 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 you're getting married, every moment is a new moment. It's so fresh, it's so vibrant. The mere fact that you are alive together with your spouse is the greatest joy of all. You don't have to be doing anything at all. But if you're holding on to the old, oh, this is so boring, this is so monotonous, that means you're not aware that all there is is this moment. That means the psychology of time has seeped so deep into your brain that you're not aware that the magic of this moment needs nothing. It's so magical on its own, it's life on its own. And this is the deep core of what he's trying to bring to a person. That a person is involved in so much static, in so much wanting to hold on, wanting to take the past, wanting to project a better future that all the while he misses the simple yet most profound thing that there is, the only thing that there is, which is the, this moment now.
And a person does this because he doesn't allow the moment to be. He's trying to do everything with the moment. His mind's trying to hold on to it. His will and his pleasure and all of his focus and his faculties trying to resist it. But if a person on the last day of his life, which is the only day of his life, doesn't resist what is, he realizes that that's the most magical thing that there is. In fact, says Dalta Rebbe, that when a person is about to die, he just won't do anything to have a little more of what is right now. But he was completely unaware of that because that's an old thing. It's old, it's so old, it's so boring. I'm waiting for another high, another moment that's more important than this moment. But in the face of losing that, what you have. If you're living with ego, then this is boring to you. This is boring. This concept is a boring concept. But if, you're, if the ego is starting to be, if the ego is allowing your neshama to penetrate, then this is the most exciting concept. Because this is the beginning of enlightenment. This is the beginning of enlightenment to realize that all there is is now. So we are explaining that what the Alter Rebbe answered this person, what he's answering this person who started to complain to him, was by complaining about your lack of physicality. Your lack of money, your lack of physicality. By complaining about your desires for what you want, that's not the way that the light of your soul is going to shine through your body. And we are going deep into this, that what Alter Rebbe was really talking about, he was talking about chapter 36 in Tanya. And what is chapter 36 in Tanya? That is the purpose of this world, which is to make a dwelling place for God. The purpose of life is... There's nothing you could do with that purpose. That is the purpose. The purpose of life is that your soul should be revealed in your body in the deepest, most profoundest way possible. When your body is surrendered to your soul, and we explained yesterday, we gave an example of enlightened giving. That there's many levels of giving. And in each level, on some level, your soul is not enlightened. Your soul is not light, lit up. Your soul doesn't light up your body. But we said that what the Rabshayel like from Kerestir, the way he lived in Kerestir, was he saw the whole Kerestir, and he saw every single amount of money, and he saw all of materiality as for one purpose, to eliminate suffering, to be able to give to another person. There was zero static. There was zero accumulation. He was not trying to hold on to money, $10 million in a bank account for one day, for one minute of a future where I'm going to be able to have a high. He saw money as one means to create fluidity, to create life. That the whole entire care is steered. Everybody should have money. Everybody should have no suffering. And that's the way he looked at every moment of tzedakah. Every moment of his life was the highest state of tzedakah, where the body, which the materiality, which everything around him was completely lit up. That means there was complete awareness, complete light. That means that the body surrendered to the soul. The light of the soul is being revealed in the body. That means that the body is completely surrendered. Is the body there? The body is the portal. The money, the food, everything, all of that was the portal. That was, the, that, was, that was everything. Without that, you had nothing. 
He was not even praying, Rabshayla. He was deeply into cooking and making and doing. But he used every sense of self to be able to eliminate suffering from another person. He never thought about himself. And why do we give this example? Because we want to say, what does it mean enlightenment? This is so foreign, what the Alter is talking about. I can't, even, I can't even break out of my shell. I can't even break out of my worries to even see this. But can we observe this idea of what means enlightenment? What is the Balatanya talking about over here? People wonder, why Reb Shaila now the whole entire world is talking about him? It's a very simple thing. He the highest state of giving. Not high as a goal. The highest state in this world of giving means that your body is your temple. That means that the light of your soul is shining so powerful in your body that your body is just there for one purpose. To be the portal, to be the temple, to be the revelation of where infinity, your infinite part of your soul is, re- is revealed. But we are too busy, we are too asleep to even think about such a thing, let alone live like this, let alone live like it for one minute. But Abshayla lived his whole life like that. And he touched thousands and thousands of people with his simplistic way of living. With other rebels and other giants who wish to be in that state of enlightenment. They had that, that state of enlightenment maybe for a moment. With his simplistic way of living. With his simplistic way of living. He eliminated all suffering for the Jewish people. Why? Because the light of his soul completely ruled his body. There was zero reactivity. There was zero ego. Entirely zero ego. Where at that moment, giving has an entirely different thing. Something you never thought of in your life. Which is the essence of giving is not as a means to an end. This moment is not a means to an end. The poor person is not a means to an end. He is the purpose of this world. To be able to eradicate his suffering. The person you're looking at in front of you is the only thing that there is. And so we're saying that what Alter Rebbe starts out explaining to this person is, in essence, that the root of all suffering, the root of all ego, is the wanting of something. The fact that you want something. Now that's the the traumatic and tragic state of humanity. We're all in that state. But we need to know the truth to get out of that state. In order to be able to live with this state for one moment, we need to get out of it. And in order to get out of it, we need to understand what it is. We need to see the poison of it. So we are explaining that Yishkon Oir Hashem, that the light of God should dwell within me, meaning that it should be present within me, is the purpose of this world. And when did we find that out? During Matan Torah. Because during Matan Torah was the chasana of the Jewish people and the Ebeshter. And we said, we have in our own life, our own chasana, our own marriage that we look forward to. And then we get married. And in the moment of marriage, our roadmap of our life becomes clear. And if we go very deeply into this, we'll see some fascinating paradox, a fascinating contradiction that there is in every single wedding. 
We are waiting for the wedding. We are looking forward to it. The wedding, the wedding. Going to buy the clothing, hire the caterer, gowns, jewelry, preparation, family, pictures. Pictures and more pictures to hold on to the moment. But what's the peak moment of the wedding? What's the peak moment of the wedding? Does a person think about this? What's the peak moment of the wedding? The peak moment of the wedding is the moment that you get married. The moment that you become attached. What was the peak moment of Matan Torah? Peak moment of Matan Torah was Parcha Nishmasan. The souls expired. They went back to the source. They saw God. They saw God redeemed in this world. What's the peak moment of the wedding? The peak moment of the wedding is the mitzvah dance. The peak moment of the wedding is when everyone's dancing. The peak moment of the wedding is, is the pictures. Or the peak moment is when the chassan says to the kala reat mekadeshesli. The peak moment is during the chuppah. When the chassan doesn't see the kala. And the kala doesn't see the chassan. What type of bizarre thing is that? The moment of the wedding, the highest moment, right before or right after, they're going to break that glass. They're going to remind themselves of the suffering in this world because the highest moment, the highest pleasure, you still have to be attached to this world, is the moment when husband and wife will become one. But how do they become one? They fell in love with each other because of how beautiful they saw each other look. They fell in love with each other because of the external faculties. What brought each other to, to each other? You, what did they bring to the table? I bring all my finest qualities. I bring everything to the table. You bring everything, your finest thing. You had a shatchan on your side. I had a shatchan on my side. And we both tried to sell each other the most beautiful things about each other. And now in the wedding we show up and we both look most beautiful. But in the moment of marriage, the moment of wedding, we don't see each other. Because we take, we say, I am... What brought me to you is your externalities. But I want to get to know you. And get to know you means everything about you. All your baggage. Everything you have. And at that moment, I suspend myself. And I say, I am and you are both looking way beyond what we see outside. Because the infinity of who you are is something I can never hold. I can only become one with that. And I can only, only I can hold... On to that if I suspend myself. And at that moment, the chas and kala don't see each other. Because that's the essence of marriage. Because that's the root of being alive. That is the core of what marriage is all about. So the peak moment of your wedding is the moment that you say, is the moment that you don't see the chas and you don't see the kala. That is the moment that mimics and replays what happened in Matam with the Jewish people and the Abishu, where they saw that they were one. By suspending everything that there is in this world. By realizing that we are the core of our soul, not at our bodies, not at our, our externalities. We have this every single day during Krishna. That's what's explained in Chsidis. During Krishna, we suspend what we see. We co- put, take our hands and we cover it over our eyes. And we reenact the Chuppah. We reenact the moment of Matan we reenact what we did with our wife or with our husband, which is the, the suspension of self and the bond, the becoming one with the other person. During Matan Torah, we saw that us and God are inseparable. At the soul level, we are inseparable. And, during, and every single person is ready to be Moishin Efesh's life during Krishna. 
And every person who ever gave up his life for God said, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekein Hashem Echad. Because that is the truth. The truth is that there is no world. The truth is that when I marry you, I marry you for who you are, with everything that you have. Because it's the ability for love. And love is not a state to attain. And love is not an attachment. And love is something that's unconditional. But I choose you to love unconditionally every day of my life. And unconditionally means that there's zero attachment. And when there's zero attachment, there's real love. And love starts at the moment of that chuppah, when you don't see the person. When you say, I accept you for everything you have. And most of my life, is going to be no gown. There's going to be no picnic. There's going to be no highs. But that's life. Life is that I accept you for every single thing that you have. Whatever I don't see, I bring to the table the rachel. I brought my beauty to the table. But I have a layer inside. I have my thoughts, my baggage, my panics, my issues. And I didn't show you that right now. And the shatchan makes sure to cover that up. And the chassan brings his Yisrael to the table. Yisrael is Leroish. Yisrael means Yaakov's second name. He brings that beauty to the table. And Yisrael and Rachel want to get married. But the chassan and Kala both have a Yaakov and they have a Leah. And Yaakov ends up living with Leah the rest of his life. He doesn't live with Rachel his whole life. But the magic of marriage is that the moment that led up to the chuppah was all this externality, this beauty. Is for what reason? To realize that the beauty is just a portal for what is inside. It's just a blueprint for how I have to live my life every moment of my life. And if I realize that who I accepted in my marriage is my queen, is my king, then everything that they have is kingly, is queenly, is monarch. Everything that they have is, is, is joy and life. Now some people might be thinking, I didn't have this enlightenment when I got married. And I'm now 20, 30, 40 years into my marriage. But all of that is ego, all of that is the past. That doesn't matter, you're married right now. It's the meaning that you attach to that moment of your chuppah. If it happens right now, then you live with this every moment of your life, for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter what happened till today. All of yesterday is died. You died to yesterday. Died, it's finished. It's the meaning that you attach now. It's only the state of consciousness that you have now that matters. None of, none of it else matters. So a person who's truly alive with this concept of what real marriage means, which is means I say hareat mikdashesli to the person who I don't see, who I don't know yet. But I say it with the excitement of getting to know them, with you recognizing that no matter what I'm going to discover, I'm here for what I could give, not what I could get. And that's the essence of marriage, and that's the essence of enlightened marriage. So we gave an example yesterday, Of somebody who finds out, God forbid, that his spouse is terminally ill, who has a terrible disease, and now he has to sit in the in the hospital a few weeks after his wedding. And we said that that is a conscious person, because that person is giving love. He's giving love. 
to his spouse. Unconsciously. Now, let's imagine this for a minute. There are two ways that a person can deal with this. There are two, let's say there's two twins. Twin boys marry twin girls. And the twin girls have a very similar DNA. And they both have the same thing happen to them. One person's enlightened. One person learned what the Rebbe says over here. And one person didn't. They're both going to be taking care of their spouse. But the one who's enlightened will also shed a tear. He will also have pain. But every moment of the 18 hours that he's spending with his wife, he can't bear her suffering. And he prays and he, and he cherishes every moment he's together with her. And he's fully alive. And the joy in that moment is, un, is, un, is unimaginable. And the pain is also deeply felt, but it's not a pain of what he's losing. It's a pain of what that I wish I could give. I wish I could eliminate your suffering. If I could, I'll be here for another minute. Just let me, let me, let me, let me have you have it easy. And then there's another person, the same identical twin, who's in the next room, but he's not enlightened, and he's complaining quietly because he doesn't want to. His in the face of what his spouse is suffering, he's complaining. He's turning to God and he's saying, "Why is this my lot? I just wanted to have a normal life. I just wanted to be able to have a wife." Why do I have to do this? And then he goes outside, he talks to his parents, and he's complaining. This is my situation. How could it be? How could it be? Why, how could this happen to me? Such a terrible thing. What did, what, did I, what did I do to suffer? What did I do? And he talks about it, and it makes more pain. And his parents tell him, you don't want her to hear, you don't want her to suffer. And he goes back in there, and he takes care of her. 18 hours, he's dear. Very, very devoted husband. But no enlightenment. It's about himself. He's giving. He's really giving. Nobody can compare. Nobody's judging. But there's no enlightenment. The suffering that he has is a selfish suffering. It's because he's being deprived of his life. And he's complaining. And he's frustrated. And internally he's broken. But it's not Yishkanoid Hashem. He's not an enlightened marriage. When she gets better and they walk out of that hospital, there's going to be triggers, there's going to be complaints. The whole entire life will not, will, will not be a space of life. But in the moment, in the face of real tragedy, if a person's truly enlightened, meaning he understands, doesn't mean he's not going to experience pain, not going to, doesn't mean he's not going to shed a tear, of course he's going to shed a tear, because I can't bear to watch you suffering. Is there no body there? Is there no marriage? That's the deepest marriage, because it's all about you. Your happiness, I see you in that bed, and I can't bear to see the pain that you have. This is not about me. I care that I'm, not, I'm here 18 hours a day, I'm not even here. I'm just here to eliminate your suffering. That is the essence of marriage. That is the essence of Yishkan Hashem. When the suspension of ego, when the suspension of will, the suspension of me, the suspension of me, the giving up of me, the using the me for you, the using my fear, I want, I want to give to you. That is the deepest core of marriage. That is the deepest core of being alive. That's Yishkan Hashem. And it's not a process that you could get through wanting. Through seeing your own identity. Through seeing yourself. It's only a place that you get if you suspend yourself. It's the, allow, the, 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 the person being allowed to be able to give. Which to be able to give, to be able to eliminate suffering, to be able to give love, love with no attachment, is the highest pleasure a person can be in. And that is Yishkan Hashem. And that's what he's talking about in this parak.